Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore. And today I'm excited to have Dr. Leah Lagos joining me on the show today. Leah, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, you and I have had a lot of great conversations around HRV, around biofeedback, around the nervous system, and digging into that mind body connection and so much more. So, um, a quick background about you is that, not that you need to know it, but for those listening, um, Dr. Leah Lagos is a clinical and sports psychologist. She's a board-certified biofeedback therapist and is a trusted, effective, and evidence-based uh, thought leader in improving health and performance. And that's kind of just the two-line overview. But in getting to know Leah, what I've discovered is that She's got a deep passion for not only people who are trying to stretch themselves on the top end of performance, but also people who are trying to really find uh, balance in their life and trying to um, just approach life in a more kind of sustainable and practical way. So she uh, spans kind of a wide area of interest, but a lot of what her practice centers around and she'll, we'll learn more about today is biofeedback and how we can create a connection between our heart, our breath, and our mind. So I'm excited. I'm particularly excited to learn more about this stuff. <laughs> Thanks for the beautiful introduction, Jason. Oh, well, thank you. And it's easy. Um, you know, you've put a lot of work into your upcoming book, which is, uh, lo and behold, titled Heart, Breath, Mind. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that book, but also all of the work that has gone into why you are even writing a book and what people can learn about biofeedback and about themselves in the process. How does mm. that sound? Sounds fantastic. So kind of digging into the roots a little bit, um, listeners of our podcast have probably heard the term biofeedback. They've definitely heard the term HRV. Um, but we've never framed the concept in the same way that you do around this heart, breath, mind concept. And I know that that's something that um, you've been working on for years and has kind of culminated in this book. But what is the what are we talking about here at a high level before we kind of dig into the details? Sure. We're talking about a pathway starting with the heart, extending to the mind controlled by the breath and affecting the whole body. And as someone who's worked with peak performers from young chess players, all the way to people in business, people in high level athletics, the most popular question and request as a clinical and sports psychologist that I get is how can I control my emotions under pressure? Um, and that is what sparked my interest many years ago at Rutgers in heart rate variability biofeedback. Hmm. That's so powerful. And pressure, I feel like no matter what your 
trying to do these days. There's pressure from so many different angles and being able to regulate your emotions or or just accept them or or even recognize them uh, seems like it'd give you a huge competitive advantage in life. <laughs> and, you know, Jason, I, I, I feel like the, this is, this is really the critical point for the, our nation, especially uh, with the kinds of pandemics and social, you know, uprisings that are happening, not just to learn to control our emotions, but, but to gain, gain control over what's happening in our body so that we can gain control over our behaviors. There are points, and it happens to everybody, from parents with children to spouses back and forth to people in the office making executive-level decisions or you know, $100 million, even billion-dollar investments about learning to control what's happening in their body to control what's happening outside them, their behaviors, how they're interacting, how they're making decisions. And it's remarkable. And this is so much of my passion and love for this process about the different angles it can intersect with from kids to people in the business world to people just looking to improve their health, their sleep, migraines, blood pressure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up kind of current events because um, it's just been such a stressful time for so many people for so many different reasons. And to highlight, to give like a little tidbit of information that I've learned in my uh, exposure to this world uh, and the world of biofeedback is kind of what I'm hinting at is um, and breathing and gaining control is that I learned that it's a common practice in first responders and in military Mm -hmm. scenarios to practice specific breathing patterns um, to stay calm under pressure. And sometimes it's called tactical breathing. Um, And part of what I've learned is that uh, those breathing patterns are supposed to be ingrained through uh, repetitive practice and training first under a relaxed environment and then under increasing pressure so that there's something that those people can go back to in those moments when they're having to decide, do you, do you take lethal force or do you, can you find a different uh, path and, you know, things like that. So. And um, and what you're saying is so important and really a passion of mine, particularly right now, um, given what what's happening in the world is for, people to understand that the autonomic nervous system gets hijacked in some ways during these really stressful moments of pressure, or even just when there's a, a feeling and it can bypass conscious thinking, uh, like physical aggression or, or their body feels threatened. And it does not justify physical force. And I'm not making that case by any means. But what I'm saying is that this type of training can be really helpful so that if the autonomic nervous system does kick in, that we have high level trainings to control and for the mind to be able to click in and and actually exert control over the autonomic response. Um, And and the HRV biofeedback is really important. You know, tactical breathing strategies are wonderful. But one thing that the HRV does and the systematic program that I talk about in Heart, Breath, Mind, which is published by Houghton Mifflin 
and, uh, and myself in coming out August 11th is a 10-week program to essentially gain a, a, a reflex that kicks in so that when your sympathetic nervous system activates, especially in times that puts it in a state of high, high, high activity, the parasympathetic nervous system will kick in to help self-modulate. Now, sometimes you still have to put insert tactical breathing strategies, and I talk about that in the book as well, uh, to further support bringing down the sympathetic modulation and bringing in the parasympathetic so that you have control over your mind and body. But essentially what we're looking for is for some of that modulation, the braking system from the parasympathetic to kick in on its own without even thinking. And so what we found, and this is based on Paul Lear and Evgeny Vashil and Bronya Vashil's research at Rutgers University, is that the 10-week training, um, breathing at your resonant frequency, an identified rate of breathing that maximizes heart rate variability, doing this for 10 weeks at a systematic pace of 20 minutes twice a day renders the autonomic nervous system tighter, more in control. And that parasympathetic nervous system starts to jump in. It's a reflex that's trained um, as we strengthen the barrel reflex. So, so the nervous system is, is counteracting some of that sympathetic dominance on its own. I love that you said gain a reflex Mm -hmm. and that seemed that, you know, you said it, you, you have so much experience in this domain that you said that almost as if it's some, a given because you've seen this happen so many times with your process. But to me, that jumped out as something almost profound um, in that, you know, people think of reflexes like, oh, if you drop something, your hand kind of reaches out to catch it. Or if you tap your knee at the doctor's office and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of kick out stuff like that. Or if something scares you, you flinch, right? Mm -hmm. All of these reflexes. Well, um, the fact that you can practice something to the point of it becoming a reflex is something that high level athletes can appreciate because they've done things with their body so many times that they end up performing the right thing under the right situation without even being able to explain consciously how or why they did it. But for for the mind to have uh, control over the nervous system and to have a reflex of gaining control of your nervous system um, that's a pretty profound statement and something that to me just seems like I would, everybody would want that. <laughs> um, if you have a stressful situation and your reflex is to gain control over yourself, then that uh, seems like it would be more powerful than a lot of other. Um, and so real quick, I want to take a step back. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of different things in there that we're going to dig into, but I also want to just highlight one thing, and that's the concept of biofeedback. And you're a board certified biofeedback therapist. Like I said, people who've listened to the show have heard the term biofeedback, but why why is biofeedback specifically so interesting to you in this process of practicing and training yourself to reflexively do the right thing? (laughs) <laughs> and achieve 
kind of your full level of aptitude in health and life. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. What's so interesting about biofeedback and compelling is being able to see the signals from your own body, how you gain control over them and how you can change them over time. And then experiencing qualitatively as you change things like your heart rhythms and the frequency of your heart rhythms, feeling qualitatively, meaning in your body, you feel through time the, the effects in your brain. So there's the vagus nerve that links the heart, the digestive tract, all the way up to the front of the brain, specifically that controls executive functioning. And, and what's really phenomenal is, you know, around week four, we see what's called baroreflex gains. Baroreflex controls heart rate and blood pressure, and it shows tighter modulation. But around week seven, we start to hear, and, you know, I, I've done this for so long and it's been so interesting jason to hear from kids to olympians to pga tour players to people in the business and finance world how at week seven the cognitive gains that essentially are mirrored because the vagus nerve reflects what's happening in the heart the 0.1 hertz frequency is also reflected in the brain and so you start to have people particularly prefrontal lobe functioning improve. So we have clarity, we have uh, clearer thinking, ability to let go faster, focus more. Um, and, and so what's so compelling about this process is that you're able to see as you gain control over what's happening in your heart, you also feel and, and experience what's happening and gaining control over your mind and putting those together. And so much for psychology you know, is is working on, on specific constructs, but they aren't so visible. And so being able to see the change that you're making, seeing it happen in real time and experiencing the effects can be quite compelling for a lot of clients. So much so that, you know, many of my clients come for HRV biofeedback, but then open up about a host of other challenges or, or things they'd like to seek help with because they've gained so much confidence from the process of seeing their ability to control their physiology and then control their psychology. Hmm. Yeah, I love that uh, emphasis on visibility. And there's just so much noise mm -hmm. in our lives today. And it's, you know, uh, in some regards, um, people know they need to uh, you know, take a moment to think about their actions before they do them or eat better or sleep better or exercise more, things like that. But when you get some sort of feedback and data that's kind of clear and visible, it just makes it easier to recognize when you're doing things either, you know, I don't want to say correctly or incorrectly, but um, it's more motivating to see that when you do something, it's creating change either over time or even in real time in the moment. <laughs> you know what else is interesting, Jason? I'm, I'm thinking particularly of my concussion patients through time. You know, HRV is, is really fantastic for patients with post-concussion syndrome. And, and what, you know, this is based on John Letty's research um, and uh, a few others. And, and I've published several kind of inaugural studies in this area too using uh, so John Letty found that the people with post-concussion syndrome that was refractory, meaning it didn't remit 
Um, you know, people at six months out, even a year or two out, were still experiencing massive, massive impairments. And what he found was that one of the physiological correlates was low heart rate variability. And so, so I be I started using HRV biofeedback and 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 finding that as we improved heart rate variability a lot of their functioning was getting restored including cognitive functioning being able to read again being able to focus again kids that were essentially in athletes that were in college staring at the ceiling unable to read unable to participate at school after 10 weeks they were they were experiencing significant cognitive gains, like being able to read a 200-page book for the first time in six months. Um, and, and where I'm going with this is, is just the impact that this has on the brain. And, and the secondary impact is also seeing when you are someone, and I, I'm even thinking about how this relates to the present day and how so much of what's happening in this world feels like a lack of control, a lot of uncertainty, what's happening the next day. Well, people with post-concussion syndrome feel that in a, a very extreme way as well. They've lost control over what's happening in their body, oftentimes in their mind, and seeing that they can control an aspect of their lives again, such as their heart rhythms and and being able to amplify heart rate variability and heart and increase heart rate deceleration on demand. It's really interesting the psychological effect that it has for many people, um, kind of restoring a sense of efficacy and confidence in themselves. Mm. And so let's start break. This is, this is, yeah, we, this is amazing. You know, we, we mm-hmm. have so much to break down here and um, what, so what are some of the fundamental principles that we should be aware of? And I know that you go even deeper in your book on these different things, but based on your experience in the clinic, um, what are some of the kind of big picture principles that we should be aware of with regard to this type of training? That heart rate variability biofeedback is not a method for relaxation. If I'd want you to relax, I'd send you to the spa. <laughs> this is a process. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. <laughs> for fine tuning your emotional modulation. So if you need to amp up faster, get excited for your podcast. Feel, you know, enthusiastic to deliver a speech to thousands of people. It will do that if you need to essentially decelerate and quickly gain control of your emotions and 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 kind of modulate your affect in the moment. You can do that. So I explain it's you know it's like a it's like a, a race car with precise navigation, and you have that ability to to accelerate and decelerate just much more effortlessly and acute acutely on demand. Um, so That's huge. I that, like emphasizing both sides of that because not, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, but, but so many people that talk about this, it's all about the deceleration and that's important, but we also need to be able to perform as well. Right. That's right. And so this tightens the modulation so you can do both and, and create essentially the optimal optimal conditions for emotions on demand. And it's really incredible 
to practice uh, as as you systematically practice the HRV training, it really does the best results for 20 minutes twice a day. People come in from all over the world. Can I please, Dr. Lagos, do 10 minutes twice a day for 20 weeks instead of 20 minutes twice a day for 10 weeks? The math <laughs> It doesn't produce the same effect. You can use some of these processes as tactical breathing strategies and still benefit, but you don't get the reflex that you and I talked about earlier in our conversation. And that for many of my clients is life changing, being able to develop that reflex that kicks in on its own to self-modulate. And then you can build on tactical breathing strategies, but you want that reflex because it essentially allows you to let go in the moment to a more significant degree without any conscious activation. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, let me know if you had more to that principles, because then I was going to ask you a little bit about some of the physiology side. And sure. I have, um, I, I love this, Jason, and I've seen this process just really transform lives in meaningful ways. So in terms of the principles, I, I would encourage people that want to explore it to really make a commitment and, and do this systematically. Look, breathing, it, it, it takes time, you know, the 10 weeks, the 20 minutes, twice a day, but it allows you to essentially create a state for optimal performance on demand. And the more you do it, you know, I tell people, if you want to do it longer than 10 weeks, I believe there are three levels to this. I've seen clients reach three different levels of mastery, um, which are, are really fun. And and the first is just, you know, in 10 weeks time, your nervous system is more, fight, you know, fine tuned and you'll experience improved mood, decreased anxiety, more focus and less muscle tension. I always say, who can't use that? I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second tier, you do it, you know, another 10 10 to 12 weeks, and you start to really feel adept at, at generating emotional states that are specific to situations. Um, You know, I I had a, a professional coach who really oscillating mood was really important for his success in coaching. And and he felt like the additional practice, I call it kind of the level two, really helped him fine tune being able to oscillate very quickly. I call it emotions on demand. Um, and, and then the third state, it, it, you know, you go above and beyond that. And you tend to see people that are just recovering so much more quickly from stress. And that can happen after the first 10 weeks, but there is a significant jump in, in kind of that third tier. So it's really interesting. You know, you can just commit to 10 weeks, but if you, you know, there are still more benefits to be had, the more you engage in the practice. Amazing. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Those are, you know, being systematic and committing, um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, habit forming is a challenge, no matter what you're trying to do. If you're trying to change up your routine, uh, competing, mm-hmm. this is going to compete with, uh, Netflix and whatever else you're wanting to do, but it, it becomes something that is an investment 
in your future and in your health and well-being. And I find that when I take the time, you know, to do this, which I'm excited to do, the 10-week program, um, is that these types of investments and other things that I've done, like take the time to address sleep and nutrition, have just paid so many dividends in my life. Um, And this, I feel like, is going to unlock another level for me. (laughs) I love it. You know, as you go through it, I'll, I'll be excited to hear the kind of results you're experiencing. For most people at week four, you know, that's when you feel week one, you may feel a little less tense and week two, your mood might feel a little higher. And that's for anybody. But week week four, you start to experience that letting go that happens a little more naturally. The same stressors, maybe it's driving and gridlock, maybe it's waiting line. Everyone has those triggers, but they're just modulated. You just notice those those triggers don't create the same type of reactivity. And then the other marker that's exciting to look for is week seven is when, uh, you know, there are generally the start of some cognitive gains, improved focus, uh, Mm. more cognitive clarity. I call it being able to let go of squirrels more easily. I say we all have squirrels in our brain. You know, sometimes they (laughs) chase them. (laughs) But you have control and you're able to almost have what's like a screen door where you can say, ah, this isn't effective for me. I'm just going to let it go more. Mm. That's, yeah, that's huge. And everybody can, you know, cognitive performance is one of those things that it can benefit everything, even if your demands in your life are more physical or or if you're a, a desk athlete like at a work at a job or as a student um yeah that cognitive performance just pays dividends and and leah i want to ask too about some of the physiology of this and in the opening uh series where we just talked a minute ago you mentioned baroreceptors parasympathetic sympathetic the autonomic nervous system um and a, a lot of different things there what are some of the primary systems of the body that we're activating or deactivating during this uh, type of practice? So our autonomic nervous system helps us stay safe. And that can mean to relax, center, rebalance. It can also mean run across the street as fast as possible away from something that's chasing us in a state of survival. So there's two systems interacting constantly, and it's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and their subcomponents of the autonomic nervous system. Our sympathetic is our survival system. It's our fight or flight. And when it goes on, it's meant to protect us. But the problem is that sometimes our sympathetic goes on even when we don't need it to. Maybe we had trauma in our past and our system is now sensing some sort of trauma. We're not not even reacting at a conscious level, but it's it's sensing because it's trying to protect us and it puts us in a hypervigilant state and a tense state. Well, that's not particularly good for someone that's trying necessarily to perform at their peak at that exact moment. Um, then we have the parasympathetic nervous system that helps us rest, digest, self-modulate. 
Um, and when the parasympathetic kicks in, it's, it's oftentimes to help us balance and restore. And it used to be thought many, many years ago that we could just target the sympathetic. We could do tactical breathing here and there and just relax the sympathetic in the moment. And that is true. But what we found that can be even more powerful is training the parasympathetic to kick in and so that the autonomic nervous system leans into a state of parasympathetic dominance instead of sympathetic dominance. And so the idea here is that we're gaining control of the system that's the braking system. And I know that sounds like it's going to relax you, and it can, but it also can just tighten the modulation, allowing you to let go, to reset, and then amp up faster. But it's it's crucial for us to have a strong an active parasympathetic nervous system to recover quickly from stressors. So let's say you're an athlete and you have multiple uh, competitions within a day. I'm thinking of golfers. So, you know, on the PGA tour, you're, or any, any golf situation, really you're, you're performing hole after hole and you need to recover between the holes in order to perform at your peak. If you're not, and you're staying in that sympathetic state the entire time, uh, you will tire more quickly. You will oftentimes lose your focus more quickly. So we want that recovery to be immediate. Um, and, and so one of the really profound pieces of this is that the HIV biofeedback helps to improve recovery at baseline, meaning the recovery happens faster following a stressor, enabling you to let go, reset, and then recalibrate. Hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, creating that tighter, um, loop where you can respond faster ends up paying dividends. Cause I feel like these, uh, situations are, um, often in some cases in life, you know, stress comes and goes and in other situations, it's critical that you, take action quickly. Um, but in either case, um, by being able to activate or deactivate the systems that you want to respond to the situation that you need, you don't waste a lot of time and energy. That's just kind mm -hmm. of another thing that I've kind of noticed is that um, if you have a fight or flight response and then the situation passes, but you stay amped for minutes or even hours, then it's utilizing a lot more resources than it needs to, uh, the responses. And, uh, and then also you end up, that ends up impacting everything that you're doing during those, uh, that period of time. So um, there's just, it's, it seems like there's a lot of power in being able to turn that on and off as needed. Very much so. And it's incredible how it affects performance. It affects health. You know, you, you think of all the things that happen in our body when, when essentially our body can't let go. Our blood pressure stays high. Our heart rate stays high. It, uh, our muscles stay tensed. And um, our body just essentially can't turn off as quickly and as, as you said, it expends a lot of energy, but that can also in time create chronic health conditions. Right. Yeah. And those, yeah, 
and the estimation of people who have chronic health conditions just continues to go up and up and up. And as I'm sure you're aware, there's an even greater number of people who are subclinical in their mm-hmm. uh, chronic health s- state. But it's interesting that piece of the subclinical. I often find that a shared experience, just on a psychological and physiological, is is the feeling of not being safe within the body. And it's not necessarily just a, a psychological concept. It's it's one that's held by our body somatically in our cells, and and it it creates an, a kind of a systematic imbalance for many people. That, that the breathing helps to rebalance and then also improves the cognitive feeling of safety and, and being able to be fully present. And um, it's not just relaxed, but being able to perform at that full level of aptitude as opposed to just a fragment uh, because you're feeling rattled, you're, you're feeling there's a threat uh, around you. Yeah, yeah. And and some of the the neat thing about biofeedback is it's a in my experience at least it's an unthreatening way to kind of get your foot in the door and capture your attention in addition to providing that guidance and structure and you know reinforcement in the practice. Mm-hmm. And what does so we talk about 20 minutes twice a day what does the 20 minutes look like in a session that you're recommending what are you doing during that time i recommend using just a breath pacer i'm a big advocate of taking your hrv each morning um, and monitoring it so you can use it as a guide to navigate your day in terms of rest and rest at rest and also kind of recovery and restoration to the body. But when you're doing your actual breathing practice, I like just using a breath pacer and then taking using HRV biofeedback at uh, once per month, let's say sessions one, uh, sessions four, seven, and 10, or sessions one, five, and 10, so that you're not always trying to gather where, how, what your HRV is, how quickly you can decelerate your heart rate, but just enjoying the process. Um, and so you can just use, use a breath pacer and, and set it to your resonant frequency and breathe. But it's really important to turn off all the stimuli in your environment, including music. Uh, after doing this for 10 weeks, then you can use music. But until then, it's, I, I find with patients that the best way to enhance heart rate variability is to sit, match your breath to the pacer, and have no other distractions. You know, kids run in, they run out, that's fine. You just bring your attention back, but not doing this while you're making lunch or not doing this while you're trying to drive, not doing this while you're watching TV, really just matching your breath to the pacer. And what's interesting is that it's a little bit of a two for one, meaning it's a little bit of, of brain training while you're increasing your heart rate variability. Why? Because you're matching your breath to the pacer. And what that involves is attention and attention is the prefrontal lobe. So we're training, we're 
stimulating the prefrontal lobe while we're invariably increasing oxygen and blood flow to it through heart rate variability biofeedback. Hmm. The attention piece is, I imagine, um, one of the kind of secret underlying challenges and side benefits of this whole exercise as well for mm-hmm. a lot of people. It, it's a, uh, it's, um, it's a challenge to focus on something for 20 minutes. If it's in this modern time, mm-hmm. not, uh, got, uh, flashing lights and mm-hmm. blood and guts and, <laughs> you know, all sorts of other, uh, activities going on with all the entertainment that we have today. And, you know, one thing that people say, you know, meditation is exploding in popularity at the moment and meditation has been productized in a way, um, with a lot of kind of entertaining elements added to it. Um, but this is a, a this is almost akin to kind of going back to the roots of attention and focus, and um, not to say there's anything wrong with the uh, approaching meditation in many different ways, but this is different, right? This is bringing awareness and focus um, to a specific system systematic practice. It's, it's yeah. right. And some of the effects are similar, but not all. In fact, I have a lot of people that come to me, Jason, after many, many years of meditation. And, and this does something slightly different. It has some similar effects and some that are very different. So some of the differences are that people that have meditated for many years may not experience the same improvements in sleep quality and sleep duration as they do through HIV biofeedback. Blood pressure lowering is something that many clients experience from HIV biofeedback that they don't experience through meditation. Learning to be able to modulate emotions in the moment. My clients who are meditators say it is stronger through HIV biofeedback, having their being able to clear their mind, many of my clients say, is a little stronger through meditation. So my clients who meditate avidly say the biggest difference for them between this and meditation is being able to control their emotions in, in stressful situations. It's much higher in HIV biofeedback. They lean on the meditation piece sometimes, and it's very individual specific, but for for clearing the mind so it's interesting i believe you know there's the wim hof breathing there's meditation there's hiv biofeedback more has to be investigated i believe these elicit different frequencies in the heart and in the brain and what's really incredible about resonant frequency which is demarcated as 0.1 hertz uh, in the heart and we actually have found through mris of people breathing at resonant frequency for five minutes, that that 0.1 hertz begins to pop up in the brain, which is interesting. And I've seen resonant frequency breathing heal pieces of my clients that I didn't even imagine at the time could heal them. Cyclical vomiting, uh, people with very, very high blood pressure. And, and that one is, 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 now much more frequently HIV is used much more frequently for helping to regulate blood pressure, but very high blood pressure. And 
um, migraines. I had one client who's giving me permission. She's in my book to talk about her who had migraines for over 15 years and went to at least 12 doctors and didn't work. It didn't work. Medication, pharmacology didn't work for her. And HRV biofeedback, I, I said, I, I can't promise they will go away for completely, but they will reduce in severity and they will reduce in duration. And they did to such a degree that that she said it was life-changing for her and sent me her friends and her family. <laughs> so this resonant frequency is really fascinating from the HRV standpoint. I see it, Jason, as a healing energy, and I've seen it heal pieces of people that is is really incredible from health to helping to even restore relationships. And how does how does heart rate variability help relationships? Well, when people have control over their emotions, they're able to be they're they're the beautiful part of them as opposed to the defensive part of them, the part that can be generous and altruistic and nurturing and supportive as opposed to, you know, a, a critical, even a, an oppressive partner. Mm. It plays, it uh, impacts so many areas of life. Well, I think, you know, we, one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is that as we've built our relationship, Leah, is that I've been exposed to these concepts through you and through um, just kind of research in general, but it's something that I'm excited to see coming together into one single digestible work that people can pick up, even if they don't have a deep background in this subject matter, uh, you can really understand and follow along with the heart, breath, mind protocol. And to make it uh, easier as well, Leah and our team have worked together to add the 10-week program right into the Elite HRV app. And we're going to have a landing page set up on the website that will give you more information about that and Leah's book. But I'm excited to deploy that into the Elite HRV app so people can follow along, find your resonant frequency breathing pattern, and then follow the breathing pacer that we've talked about here. And um, and then the book is there for reference and coming out very soon. You said August 11th, Leah? Thanks. That's fantastic. And there's so much more information to uh, unpack from the book. And so, uh, but it's just um, presented very well and easy to follow along. Um, and there's, this is a subject that, like you mentioned, has been under research for decades. Um, but a lot of the research um, is very specific on a specific area or domain, um, like you mentioned, very specifically about blood pressure or very specifically about um, decelerating the autonomic nervous system. And uh, while all of that has contributed heavily to where we are today, it's it hasn't been packaged in such a way that the average person cutting through the noise of their own life and all the goals that they have can pick it up, understand it, and follow a, a program that they can know has been proven and used extensively in your clinical experience, um, in your practice, Leah. So I, I'm excited about all of that. <laughs> I am so excited too. This is 
it's just such a life transforming process for, for so many of my clients from all different ages and backgrounds. And I'm just, I am so excited for people all over the world to be able to experience it too from their own homes via the Heart Breath Mind program on the Lead HRV app and also via the book. Perfect. Well, you know, we've covered a lot and people can look for that program in the app and also on the website and we'll have links to Leah and her book. And uh, Dr. Leah Lagos, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, And I imagine we have many more great conversations ahead of us. Um, Yeah, I just really appreciate your time. I appreciate yours too. Thank you so much, Jason. It was so much fun to talk to you today. Thank you. Hey folks, Jason here. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And a quick closing reminder to check out the new CoreSense HRV finger sensor. A lot of work went into this new device, so we're really excited to share it with you. And if you're looking for the most versatile and easy way to measure accurate HRV, then CoreSense is definitely for you. And it can be found exclusively at EliteHRV.com slash CoreSense, C-O-R. S-E-N-S-E. That's CoreSense. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next time.